So the first universal principle of influence is reciprocity. Simply put, people are obliged to give back to others the form of behavior, gift or service that they have received first. If a friend invites you to their party, there's an obligation for you to invite them to a future party you are hosting. If a colleague does you a favor, then you owe that colleague a favor. And in the context of a social obligation, people are more likely to say yes to those that they owe. One of the best demonstrations of the principle of reciprocation comes from a series of studies conducted in restaurants. So the last time you visit a restaurant, there's a good chance that the waiter or waitress will have given you a gift, probably at about the same time that they bring your bill, a liqueur perhaps, or a fortune cookie, or perhaps a simple mint. So here's the question, does the giving of a mint have any influence over how much tip you're going to leave them? Most people will say no, but that mint can make a surprising difference. In the study, giving diners a single mint at the end of their meal typically increased tips by around 3%. Interestingly, if the gift is doubled and two mints are provided, tips don't double. They quadruple, a 14% increase in tips. But perhaps most interestingly of all is the fact that if the waiter provides one mint, starts to walk away from the table, but pauses, turns back, and says, for you nice people, here's an extra mint, tips go through the roof. A 23% increase, influenced not by what was given, but how it was given. So the key to using the principle of reciprocation is to be the first to give and to ensure that what you give is personalized and unexpected. So the first principle of persuasion is reciprocity. Um, Reciprocity relies on our need for equality and balance. This is governed by Adam's equity theory, which theorizes that as humans, we have a tendency to require fair and equal treatment when either giving or receiving a service, a product, or our time. Whenever we find ourselves out of balance, it makes us feel uncomfortable and uneasy. This method of persuasion is used when someone offers you a gift or a free sample of a product, like a rainbow vacuum, a Kirby vacuum, (laughs) the people at the kiosks in the mall. (laughs) When someone gives you something, Adam's equity theory requires that we return the favor. Salespeople often use this principle when they offer you a free sample, a gift, or even a mint at the end of your dinner when the bill's coming out. If someone sends you a birthday card, it is likely that you'll feel the urge to send one back. Have you ever used this principle to entice someone to either purchase a service or provide them something, some act in kind? And have you ever felt victim before? Yeah, I have. And I think I think we all have. For example, and, and this is going to be sound a little crass, but what do you think it is when you when you go out on a date and you take your date out and you buy her dinner and take her to the movies and you're like, you know what I'm saying? Like that's all you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're paying for it, like, you know what I'm saying? And the expectation is something at the end of the, the night, you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's one method. Yeah, of, it's a. I'm gonna grant you a second date. Yep. There's no second date. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you have one chance to win. <laughs> no, nah, but um, um, yeah, I, I've I've used that in terms of um, I, I think we all use it in terms of, of, of things like that, and um, and also like in business where we do like um, we do gift bags, like like when we were promoting the company, one of the things that we did was we created this little bag that had these little masks in it, and it had some some pens and with the, with the logo of the of the business, and that that's all part of the reciprocity process of of going in and saying, hey, we're bringing this to you so that you can consider our business, you know what I'm saying, and. If it gets the right person, the right person will make the decision to call you back and let you know. 
You know, I was a um, a young single mom. I had five kids by the time I was 18. <laughs> you want to see one of those shows. <laughs> but, you know, obviously I didn't have a lot of money because I had a lot of kids. and um, You had no money. <laughs> and, you know, back when you could write checks and they'd bounce. Man, I had so many bounce checks. But um, we had somebody come to the door. And I used to hate it when people would come to the door because I always felt obligated to listen to their speech, let them show me their products because I'm like trying to be supportive. Now I'm like, I don't want whatever it is you got. I don't want it. I don't even let them. They're, they're wasting my time. And I feel like that's wasting my money. You're wasting my time and my money. I can better handle that today. But I had somebody come to the door one time and he had this cleaner. It was clear as can be, looked like he made it. It was in a little squirt bottle that looked like he got from Home Depot. And I don't even remember what the name of the product was, but he showed me it could clean the hood of my car. It could clean the wheels on my car. It could clean plastic. It could, it cleaned everything, right? It was magical cleaner. I didn't need a magical cleaner, but I bought it and I balanced a check to buy it. That is terrible. That is, is a terrible. terrible story. And so I that let him go through. Yeah, I let him go through his whole spiel. He was super animated. I'm like, man, this guy deserves a sale, and and I bounced a check for it. That's terrible. It was. It was, wow. it was terrible. That's and terrible. you know what? I never used that cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> and now he doesn't clean your, your one of your headlights. He doesn't clean like <laughs> one of your tires, and you're just like, oh, I got. He he did all this work. Yeah, I owe him now. I owe him. I owe him to buy this. So so that was a definitely 100% a method of persuasion from a salesperson, for sure. What about you, Raquel? You ever experienced anything like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Who got you? you? But, Who got but you? you know what? The good question is, the, the, the big question is, did you realize it at the time? <laughs> so uh, I, have a few, I have a few examples. One example that a guy really got me is when... Um, there was these young boys, they were going around the neighborhood trying to sell, I guess, books um, to make extra money. And I think they were part of like the sales thing. They were part of like a underdeveloped youth group or whatever. Well, the boy came, he was like, hey, can if, you know, can you buy a book package or whatever to support us? And I was like, I don't really don't have no money or whatever. He was like, come on, man, it's my birthday. I didn't believe him. <laughs> And so I said, if, I said, if it's really your birthday, then I'll buy, I'll buy. But he took out his ID, and it was really his goddamn birthday. <laughs> wow, <laughs> got and you. I felt like because of that little honest part, I felt like the rest of his story, he was being had to honest be honest. About. Yeah. And unfortunately, I bought a, a set of encyclopedias. <laughs> Have you ever used one? <laughs> no. No, they never even showed up to my door. There we go. <laughs> I got played by the birthday boy. <laughs> oh, that's probably a fake ID. He probably got so many people that day that same story. <laughs> but honestly, that part when he said it was his birthday uh, and he showed me his ID to prove it to me, it got me. Yeah. Another time I was in Jamaica and. I don't like people giving me, I don't, if I walk past, no, I don't need to wash my hands. I don't need to use your scrub. You don't need to spray your perfume on me because people get me and I know it's easy for them to get me. So I try to avoid all of that. I don't like being sold to at all. Yeah. But when we were in Jamaica, man, 
they were relentless. <laughs> they come up out they of the water. <laughs> to, they were telling me, just take what I want and come back and pay. And yeah. I knew that if I took their products, I would have came back and paid because I understand that they're trying to make a living. Yeah. And I had to get out of there and I never <laughs> went back because I didn't want to. I didn't take anything. I told them, hey, I don't feel comfortable doing that. They were like, but but they also knew that, hey, if she takes this, there is a, a stronger likelihood of her coming back and paying. Yeah. You know, 10 times the price that I could get it from at another location. Yeah. But they were really working me hard. Yeah. And it was it was nerve wracking. <laughs> it is. It is. But, you know, as long as you know what the technique is that they're using then and you're not being sold by the technique. So so what happens with persuasion, with all methods of persuasion is a majority of our time we spend on autopilot. So we're not really thinking about what's going on. So when someone starts using a method of persuasion on you, you don't recognize it because you're not thinking about it. So what you have to teach yourself to do is you need to teach yourself to stop and identify the method of persuasion that's being used. And as soon as you can do that, then you can make a conscious decision on whether you want it or whether you don't want it. Maybe you do want it. Maybe you want that cleaner. Maybe your tires are dirty and this is the wonder, the wonder <laughs> sauce that cleans the tires, you know. Um, but as long as you're not on autopilot and just being re reflexive in, in terms of your responses based off the, the met method of persuasion, you're not gonna get got. You're gonna come out of the deal with what's exactly what you want. So I think that's a really important part of it uh, in order to avoid like getting caught up like that, so. Definitely. The second universal principle of persuasion is scarcity. Simply put, people want more of those things they can have less of. When British Airways announced in 2003 that they would no longer be operating the twice-daily London-New York Concorde flight because it had become uneconomical to run, sales the very next day took off. Notice that nothing had changed about the Concorde itself. It certainly didn't fly any faster, the service didn't suddenly get better, and the airfare didn't drop. It had simply become a scarce resource and as a result, people wanted it more. So when it comes to effectively persuading others using the scarcity principle, the science is clear. It's not enough simply to tell people about the benefits they'll gain if they choose your products and services. You'll also need to point out what is unique about your proposition and what they stand to lose if they fail to consider your proposal. The second principle of persuasion is scarcity. This principle relies on a person wanting something more as there is less and less of it. Salespeople use this principle when they say things like only a few left at this price or calling something limited edition. A limited edition means there's only a few available and when it's gone, there is no more. Also, collector's items rely on this principle as well. Have you ever used the principle of scarcity or were you ever the victim of the principle of scarcity? I think I've been gotten a couple times with scarcity. I don't I don't think I've been gotten with scarcity, but I definitely have seen it. Well, let me ask lot. you a question. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever have you ever did um what do they call that um Black Friday sale? Black Friday sale? Black Friday. No. You've never done that before? No. That's definitely a scarcity. Yeah. Where have you seen it done? The one that I think is the funniest, and people, I don't even understand how people get got with this one, but the business that's always going out of business sale. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Y'all just stay going out of business for five years straight. Yeah, that, that's 100% true. Yeah, I, I've been gotten by that too. It's, it's really hard for scarcity not to get me. Um, and especially like, for example, when it's something that I want or something that I'm interested in getting and I'm trying to make a decision mentally, like whether I want to buy it or not, but like, you know, it's only limited time. I gotta get it now. You know, you know, <laughs> you know where people do this a lot where? is in selling houses. Oh yeah, because 100%. they'll be like, "Look, guys, we're gonna have ten offers on the table yeah. tonight," and so they try to push you to to put in an offer. Yep. You know, and maybe it ain't even the house you really love, but you're like, "Oh, I may not find a house that looks similar to this. I don't love it, but." You know, something that uh, car sales people do is, um, or when people are selling their cars, what they'll do is they'll schedule a time for you, or even apartments or houses, the schedule time for you to show up like an open house. And so when you have like five or six different people in a house and they're all looking at the same house, you feel like if you don't move first, you're gonna lose the opportunity. Oh, there's five other people that are interested in this house. Like if I don't get it, like they're gonna get it. And that's also a way to drive up costs too because now you create a bidding war. I definitely have experienced this with things that are limited edition. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, wow, I want the opportunity to experience this. It's like the right. fear of being left out, kind right. of. Right, 100%, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely have. What do you have that. today that is limited edition? What do I have today? Yeah, do you have anything today that was limited edition? Um, looking around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I got this TV on sale at a Black Friday <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, um, we were doing a we were doing a um, a podcast with uh, Jules when we were talking to Jules, and one of the things that he said is is like his dad keeps buying TVs. Oh, that's right. Remember? That's so he funny. He's man. I come to my dad's house. He's got a new TV, and it's probably it's probably the same thing. Like, hey, it's on sale for like like three hundred dollars. It's seventy inch TV, but you don't need a seventy inch TV. You've got four at home. Like, you, you know, know what? My dad used to go to the store. And my mom would send him with a list of like four items to get, and he would come back a couple hours later. Mm -hmm. He done bought like a hundred cans of green beans that were on sale. Yeah, that's that's what happens, man. Um, and I, I know I know a lot of people that fall into that um, into that kind of mindset of oh it's on sale so I have to get it I'm saving so much money you're, you're so afraid to not save the money that you end up spending the money you don't have you know what I'm saying so it's uh, it's really important for you to understand when they're using that 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 strategy to go okay this is a scarcity so and and the scarcity doesn't even have to be real it's not right. it may not even be a real shortage you know what I'm saying it's like they're just making it seem like like Crystal said like toilet paper <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah man it's crazy. Imagine, imagine the companies of the, the toilet paper companies that were out there saying, "Hey guys, there's no more toilet paper. You got a whole warehouse full of toilet paper. Just mark, you know, run up the, yeah. the rates." Our third principle of influence is the principle of authority. The idea that people follow the lead of credible, knowledgeable experts. Physiotherapists, for example, are able to persuade more of their patients to comply with recommended exercise programs if they display their medical diplomas on the walls of their consulting rooms. People are more likely to give change for a parking meter to a complete stranger if that requester wears a uniform rather than casual clothes. What the science is telling us is that it's important to signal to others what makes you a credible, knowledgeable authority before you make your influence attempt. Of course, this can present problems. You can hardly go around telling potential customers how brilliant you are, but you can certainly arrange for someone to do it for you. 
And surprisingly, the science tells us that it doesn't seem to matter if the person who introduces you is not only connected to you, but also likely to prosper from the introduction themselves. One group of real estate agents were able to increase both the number of property appraisals and the number of subsequent contracts that they wrote by arranging for reception staff who answered customer inquiries to first mention their colleagues' credentials and expertise. So, customers interested in letting a property were told, lettings? Let me connect you with Sandra, who has over 15 years' experience letting properties in this area. Customers who wanted more information about selling properties were told, speak to Peter, our head of sales. He has over 20 years' experience selling properties. I'll put you through now. The impact of this expert introduction led to a 20% rise in the number of appointments and a 15% increase in the number of signed contracts. Not bad for a small change informed from persuasion science that was both ethical and costless to implement. So the third principle of persuasion is authority. The pr this principle claims that we are unconsciously moved to follow those who are in position of authority based on the person's perceived knowledge, experience, and expertise. This is due to our innate trust that is developed in us as children. As we get older and we're exposed to levels of authority such as teachers, police officers, doctors, coaches, etc., throughout our early development, we develop a high level of trust in authoritative figures. This is why no one questions a person in a reflective vest, a clipboard, or a person in hospital scrubs with a stethoscope around his neck. We associate the costume of authority and assign it with trust very willingly. Have you ever used a position of authority to persuade others? You told us that earlier. <laughs> uh, yeah. Has this ever been used on you? I think it's been used on me. Oh. I think that I have um, once paid a random guy to park my car in a parking lot. <laughs> How'd you get your keys back? <laughs> yeah. Um, he was like, there's a $10 fee. He had a vest on. <laughs> and I paid him $10 to park my car. and In a, in a public I parking lot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've gone through that parking lot several times, and there's never been anybody there collecting money ever. And so you're lucky I you didn't get your car stolen. Yeah. <laughs> No, oh, seriously. My God. But yeah, he had a, and it was just a reflector vest, and he was like, hey, there's an event going on. You got to pay for this parking spot. And I believed him. The authority that I saw, I saw his, I saw the costume, and it instantly yeah. made me trust him. And I thought that, hey, here's my $10, sir. Thank you for letting me park here. <laughs> so back, I would say, like in the 80s, there would be stories that would come out of police who would pull women over and assault them. Um, some of them were in unmarked cars, and so they started saying, like, hey, don't pull over if somebody's in an unmarked car. Like, you don't, you don't have to pull over for somebody who's in an unmarked car because it, there was all these different things that were happening from, from women getting assaulted, kidnapped, and, you know, some even murdered. It was that authority that was causing for them to take an action that they wouldn't have taken otherwise. If somebody gets behind you and is trying to get you to pull over and there's some random person, you're not going to pull over. But if you think it's a cop and you're supposed to trust a cop, you know, I'm going to pull over. So you're not supposed to trust a cop. You've been brainwashed to respond <laughs> to his uniform. You're not supposed right, to trust him. But, right. Like, you know what I'm right. saying? Like, and so and here's the even worse scenario. When I was deployed to Afghanistan, right before we had gotten there, they had had a situation where a suicide bomber had dressed up as a Afghan police general. We had multiple gates to get into our compound. 
And so when he walked to the first gate, he said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a general. And he just walked past the guy and the guy let him go because he was a general. He didn't stop him and check his credentials. But when he got to the second gate, they wouldn't let him in the second gate. And that's where he detonated. So, oh, wow. but if, but if he would have gotten past that second gate, he would have detonated inside of the American compound. The first gate was the police. The second gate was the uh, Afghan soldiers. And then they would have been our gate. In that scenario, the first guy fell victim to the fact that he was in the uniform. And that was a costume. It doesn't matter. You can't just blatantly trust what you see all the time. Sometimes you have to question it. If somebody showed up to your house and they, and they were and you looked through your window and they're in a police uniform, you, you can't really trust that. It's midnight. You're alone. You don't know who this guy is. Are you going to open the door? Like that's something you really have to think about. You know what I'm saying? Because how better to get a, a lady home who's all by herself to open her front door rather than dress like a cop? Yeah. I've seen uh, many, um, many videos on TikTok recently of people doing home invasions and they're using somebody and they're going like banging on the door, like a woman saying that her husband is like just abused her and crying and saying, please, can I use your phone? I don't have anything. And the people would open their door and then from the side of the house, other people would come and do a home invasion into the house. Yeah. I've even seen people pretend yeah. like they're delivering pizza or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or an Amazon package or FedEx. Like, it's easy to get a pair of brown shorts and a, and a brown button-up <laughs> <laughs> and a brown box. And, you know, hey, I got your FedEx package. As soon as you open the door, now you're a victim. You know what I'm saying? Here's the bad thing is that 90% of the time, it's not an issue. It's that one time when you're just not paying attention, your guard's down, you look out the window, you go, oh, it's the FedEx guy. Or, hey, it's the UPS guy. And you open the door and now you're a victim. So it's always important to understand, you know, what method of persuasion is being used so that you don't fall victim to it. Even in business, um, you'll have people who if you go into a place and you see somebody decked out in a really nice suit, you assume that they that they have a higher position in whatever business that is. You know, they're they're decked out. They must be, you know, a high level. So you could be, you know, you could be at a bank upset about a situation that occurred, asked to speak to a manager, and this person who just happens to be dressed nice comes over to talk to you, and they're not even in charge of anything, you know, but you think that that uniform means that they have some position of authority. Yeah, 100%. You also see it on the videos when they, um, the YouTube videos when they're doing um, the gold digger pranks. Because <laughs> here, here they're, they're flipping the script, yeah. right? They're flipping the script. They're getting out of costume, Right. Their, their costume is now, I'm broke, or I'm homeless, or I don't have a job, you know? They're trying to talk to these women that are very, very attractive, and then when the women shoots them down because they're looking at their uniform and going, oh, you're a skateboarder? I'm not, you know, we're going to ride on your skateboard? And all of a sudden, <laughs> he, he, he walks over to a Lambo and throws a skateboard in a Lamborghini. They're, they're using the same concept in that situation, just, they're just reversing it. The costume is, is different. It's important to understand that, and a lot of times you'll see as soon as you believe someone's in a position of authority, like for example, if we're all sitting in a room and we don't know anybody and we're just there and somebody comes in and starts, uh, has a clipboard or, or it has a loud voice say, hey, I want all the people who are wearing red shorts uh, to come over here to the left side. You'll just get up and do it because the person is now in a, in a position of authority. Whether that person is actually in charge or not, you don't know. You just assume that it's he is because of the authority. So. Listen, if you got a clipboard, you didn't memorize your responsibilities. <laughs> One time I was astro projecting yeah. and I was taken by some cops and I was put into like this room and 
I realized that I only went with them. Like I only uh, followed along with that, even though I was completely aware was because I felt like they had control over me, but it was really like me mental. It was a mental control. Yeah. It wasn't a physical control. Right. And um, I thought that that was really interesting after I had that experience because I was like, like, you know, you can do anything when you're astro projecting. Like no one has control over you. Right. But I allowed them to have control over me. That's also in life. Yeah, that's also in life. Yeah, 100%. It, it's, it's so interesting. Was it because of the uniform? And it, it probably was all of it. It was probably the uniform. It was probably... Just the idea of this is a cop, they have, you know, authority over this land when that's not reality. Right. Right. They yeah. only have the authority that you give them. All, right. 100%. Only anybody has the authority that you give them. 100%. That's true. Yep. 100%. Um, I think one of the hardest. To be going through that to realize that. Yeah. Even here, like if, if you listen to a cop, it's because you're giving them authority over you for that moment. Yep. 100%. Yep, absolutely. One of the hardest things to teach kids is to not trust authority. And it's um, really sad that you have to do that. Yeah, and um, one of the things that, that I struggled with when you guys were little uh, and you guys were small was constantly reminding you guys that if a cop pulls you over, don't talk to him. If a cop pulls you, don't yeah. go with him. You know what I'm saying? I was yeah. always constantly reminding you guys. And, and even with Alicia now, I'm like, just because they're an adult don't, don't, doesn't mean that they're good or they're going to do the right thing. Do not trust somebody. And if they try to, you know, they try to do something like to you, like, you know, don't go along with it. Adults are also bad. Like police are, are bad. Teachers are bad. Like Absolutely. there are bad people out there in all kinds of uniforms. Yep, that's true. Costumes. One of the things that I think um, that's really important to know too, and before we, we, we go to the next question is that sometimes in business, the costume is like a suit. And that's why I always say you have, you have to dress for the job that you want. Because let's say I was going to go meet with a customer and I was to show up in jeans and a, um, and a tank top. They're not going to take me serious because I'm in the wrong costume. Sure. So sometimes you have to wear the costume that's appropriate for the scenario that you're in. You can't always be in what's comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like you always, sometimes you got to put on a costume and you have to play the role. Uh, and that's part of being able to fit into that space. Yep. I just told Cecilia the other day, my sister, that the biggest gangs wear suits. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And those are the ones that you feel like, oh, they have the authority, they have the power, they have the money, they have the intelligence, but it's really just their costume and they could have none of that and they could be the scummiest, yep. dirtiest people, you know, manipulating you and yep. you think like, oh, he has a nice smile, he wears glasses and a suit. Yep. yep. And you know car. what's funny is that people will see, you'll hear people say, oh, that person looks like a thug. They're sagging their pants. They're, you know, they're, they're talking slang. And they have no idea that that person is a far less threat than the person in the suit who's manipulating a lot of people, yeah, you know? True. Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, one of my friends, he was, uh, he was telling me about a relationship that he was in. And he was telling me that the girl he was attracted to like she had her stuff together. Like she had her own car, she had her own house, she had her, um, she had name brand, um, you know, she had the Gucci and the Louis Vuitton and all of this stuff. And then he started dating her and then he found out she, her house was in foreclosure and her credit cards were maxed out and 
Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so she had this image or this persona of success and the reality underneath was that it was all rotten. It's like a house with a bad, but with a bad foundation. Man, that's a beautiful house. But your foundation's cracked. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a perception. It's a, just a, a, an image. It's not the reality. You know, and I think it's, it's funny now that people post a lot on social media about like Adam Sandler. I've seen people post pictures of Adam Sandler saying, you know, he's worth this much money and look at how he's dressing. And he's like in basketball shorts all the time and, you know, frumpy t-shirts and he's not dressed, you know, in a bunch of name brand stuff. Same with Jeff Bezos and with, you know, Bill Gates, you know, they don't wear, you don't see them decked out in Gucci and, you know, they're wearing normal clothes and, you know, they're blending in unless you know who they are. Yeah. That's so true. The next principle is consistency. People like to be consistent with the things they have previously said or done. Consistency is activated by looking for and asking for small initial commitments that can be made. In one famous set of studies, researchers found, rather unsurprisingly, that very few people would be willing to erect an unsightly wooden board on their front lawn to support a drive safely campaign in their neighborhood. However, in a similar neighborhood close by, four times as many homeowners indicated that they would be willing to erect this unsightly billboard. Why? Because 10 days previously, they had agreed to place a small postcard in the front window of their home that signaled their support for a drive safely campaign. That small card was the initial commitment that led to a 400% increase in a much bigger but still consistent change. So, when seeking to influence using the consistency principle, the detective of influence looks for voluntary, active, and public commitments and ideally gets those commitments in writing. For example, one recent study reduced missed appointments at health centers by 18% simply by asking the patients rather than the staff to write down appointment details on the future appointment card. The fourth principle of persuasion is commitment and consistency. People have a need to act consistent with their values and ideas. When they act outside of those values, they feel disconnected and uneasy. In persuasion, this theory can be applied by having someone do something small, like fill out a survey in the grocery store. Stopping and filling out the survey may seem like an innocent task, but then they ask you to sample a product. This is also a small task, and so you comply again due to your need to remain consistent with the green. Finally, they ask you to purchase the product. You may actually like the product and buy it, but would you have bought the product without persuasion? Has this principle ever been used on you? And if so, how? Do you think that it's a good thing or a bad thing? I think um, I think this this has definitely been used on me before when I didn't know about persuasion. I, I think now it's not it's not easily applied on me. But in the past, I wouldn't have even I wouldn't even have even known this was being used on me. And it happens like uh, like we were just talking about a little while ago when you're like going into, let's say, for example, a grocery store. And they're like, hey, come over here and try this here. Buy this box. Like, you know, what I'm saying once you do something, you have a tendency to continue to do it. For example, if, if you're if you're getting on a bus. Right. And there's a lady in front of you 
and she's struggling with her bag and you grab her bag from her, right? You say, oh, and you put it inside the bus. Then when you get in the bus, she goes to put it up in the rack, right? You're going to take it again, right? Because you just did it. So you're going to take it again, you're going to put it in the rack. And then when she's getting ready to get off, guess what you're going to do? You're going to stand up, you're going to get it, and you're going to pull it down. Because you're being consistent. You've already helped her one time. You're not now going to sit there and watch her struggle because it's inconsistent with your with your actions. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to make you feel uncomfortable to be that way. But I definitely use this when I'm either doing business or when I'm trying to get to a certain end. I also use this as well. This principle is one of the principles that's seen in that one that show one that we show. watched. I don't know if you guys remember watching the show where the guy gets somebody to commit About murder. The persuasion. Yeah. yeah. And, and the way that they do it is that he gets him to do a small thing. He goes like, hey, I, I was supposed to buy the cookies with no gluten, but I bought the, I bought the wrong kind. Will you help me sort these out? And it's wrong, right? Because now I'm, I'm going to give gluten to people who are thinking they're getting non-gluten cookies. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll help you sort them out. So, so he helps them. That little lie connects them, yep. right? And then the next thing he says, he says, hey, man, um, uh, uh, so-and-so was supposed to be here to receive an award, um, but he's not here. I want you to pretend like you're that guy. You don't even have to say a speech or anything. I just want you to go ahead and, and just, all you got to do is wave to the people. It's not a big deal. We'll introduce you. You stand up. You just wave. That way he doesn't look bad. So you're thinking again, well, oh, this is a really small thing. Yeah, I can stand up and wave, but now you've lied about who you are. And the more that goes down and the more you continue to say yes, the easier those yeses become. You know what I'm saying? Because you're committed. You're now in a, in a state of commitment, you know? Um, and it takes somebody with some really great self-awareness to be like, oh, I'm getting played right now. You know, and say, look, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I mean, has it ever happened to you, Crystal? Honestly, not that I can think about at the moment, but definitely this plays out when people are grooming people. Yeah. So when predators are grooming. So this yeah. is a tactic that's very common amongst amongst predators. So they'll they'll start with something small, getting you to, to do something. Even if somebody's trying to get you to do something illegal, like you were talking about, you know, yeah. they'll start with something small and then they'll gradually keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, when somebody's grooming you for an assault, they try to get you to do little things or, you know, maybe they touch you on your arm and even yeah. though you don't like it, you're like, mm, it's you not that bad. It. You yeah. accept it. And so then the next time they do something a little bit more, mm -hmm. you accept it. And so it continues to go and go and go. That's definitely an example that I can think of. So <laughs> a little different <laughs> from you guys' example. The the biggest example that when um when I heard of this method of persuasion that I thought of is at Sam's Club or Costco. Yeah. When they give you a sample of a food and then they give you a coupon for it. It's like, God dang it. How can I not say yes? <laughs> so I've definitely fell into that. I said, yes. Hey, would you like a sample? Yeah. Hey, would you like this coupon for it? God dang it. I took the coupon. Now I got to buy, buy the product. <laughs> So uh, yeah, definitely. I've been, I've been got a lot of times, man. <laughs> it also, um, it also reminds me of when they come in to do the, um, like you were talking a little while ago, Crystal, when you talking about vacuum cleaner salespeople. Yeah. When they come to your house and you're like, "Can I come in and show you this vacuum?" You're like, "Yes." Hey, can I clean this spot on your on your on your carpet? Yes. Can I uh, can I can I do half your house? You know? Yes. You know? Do you want to buy this? Do you want to buy this carpet? Oh, I really don't want to buy the carpet, but you know, I, I, he done he done did so much. Like he done vacuumed half my house. He done like you know, he spent all this time here. Like, man, I really feel like I need to buy this carpet cleaner. I feel like this is the same method that the Jehovah Witnesses also man. use. 
I actually um, have been getting handwritten letters since COVID started. Since, you know, for safety purposes, they're not really going door to door right now. Yeah. But I've gotten handwritten letters and... I don't know something about a handwritten letter that that pulls them hard. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you, it forces you to open the goddamn envelope. <laughs> that is funny. That's it's funny because you know what? A lot of businesses um, will send their their stuff where it looks like it's handwritten, just so that you'll open it. I'm trying to think of the method of persuasion that's being used there because something is persuading you to open an envelope that you already know is not something that you're interested in. You're curious about what's in it. And I wonder what method of persuasion is being used there to get you to open it. I think it's consistency. I think it's your consistency with your values. Like you value other people's time. You know that a person who sat down and wrote a letter committed some time to doing that. That's not like a change the name in print type deal. Yeah. And there's something about anytime like somebody gives me a birthday card or something like if they've written in it, like handwritten in it, yeah. something to me, I hold that more dear to my yeah. heart. Yeah. And so when I get these handwritten letters, I'm like, God dang, Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, now me, that you almost na- made me show up on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can show up online now. Uh, so they're, they're, they're persuasive, but not that persuasive. Yeah. <laughs> But now, now yeah. what would you do if the person who's been writing you these letters all this time shows up to your door and goes, hey, Raquel, I'm the person who's been writing you all these letters. I really want to invite you to a Sunday to come to our... You're going. Yeah, be there my Sunday guest. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's really funny. You know what? And, and, that's why a lot of people try to avoid them. Like When they come to the yeah. door, they be trying to hide because... It's yeah. something about that, like, you know, when they start talking to you, yeah. being so nice to you and like, yeah. hey, you know, I just want you, I just want to teach you or show you something or help you learn or something. You know, they try right. to really get you. Yeah. You know, it's real funny. There's something I remember when I was little, <laughs> the Jehovah's Witness, because, and there was different ones that came to our door, Jehovah's Witness, Church of Latter-day Saints, mm-hmm. the Mormons, all of them, they all came down our street first neighbor that got wind that they were on the street they'd call everybody else and be like hey they're coming down the street and everybody would would shut off the lights go to the back of the house to not answer the door but one time i answered the door and i don't i don't remember who they were with but they had they had their little one of their little colorful brochures with all these cute happy animals on it and she's like how would you feel about being able to sit next to a panda bear and you know, and she's giving me this, this like spill and I'm little, you know, and I'm like, Ooh, that would be really cool. And so I'm listening to her story <laughs> and I'm like, man, she got me. She got me with this story. <laughs> should be ashamed of yourself messing with this little girl. <laughs> That's how they get you. That's how they get you. The fifth principle is the principle of liking. People prefer to say yes to those that they like. But what causes one person to like another? Persuasion science tells us that there are three important factors. We like people who are similar to us, we like people who pay us compliments, and we like people who cooperate with us towards mutual goals. As more and more of the interactions that we are having take place online, it might be worth asking whether these factors can be employed effectively in, let's say, online negotiations. In a series of negotiation studies carried out between MBA students at two well-known business schools, 
some groups were told, time is money, get straight down to business. In this group, around 55% were able to come to an agreement. A second group, however, were told, before you begin negotiating, exchange some personal information with each other, identify a similarity you share in common, then begin negotiating. In this group, 90% of them were able to come to successful and agreeable outcomes that were typically worth 18% more to both parties. So to harness this powerful principle of liking, be sure to look for areas of similarity that you share with others and genuine compliments you could give before you get down to business. The fifth principle of persuasion is likability. This persuasion technique means that the more a person likes you, the more you can persuade that person. People have a tendency to like others that are like themselves. It is a higher probability to persuade someone if you share the same name, come from the same city, or have similar life experiences. This is also why salespeople are often attractive and why more attractive waiters and waitresses make better tips. I give, the, I give the ugly ones bigger tips. <laughs> Has this principle ever been used on you? And if so, um, how? Oh, this has been used on me a lot of times, especially with salespeople. Yeah, you know what? This is one of the funniest things that I'm always like, you're so full of it when a salesperson comes to the door, is when they try to say, oh, your neighbor, Billy Johnson down the street, he got this service. And your neighbor, Sarah, listen, guy, I, first of all, I don't even know my neighbor, so you could totally be making them names up. That, <laughs> you know, that's consensus. Yeah. He's, he's trying to find, hey, all your neighbors are doing it. Why aren't you doing it? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, oh, oh, shoot, they're all doing it. They're all paying for pest control. Or, or saying, <laughs> oh, or, or like earlier when you were talking about getting pulled over, you know, yeah. oh, you were in the military? Oh, I was yeah. in the military too. Yeah, it's like ability. Like, for example, when I was uh, looking to buy a car and I, I, I did an inquiry and then the person who calls me back is Hispanic because I have a Hispanic name. <laughs> so the person calls me back and they're speaking to me in Spanish. You're trying to be like, you're trying to, you're trying to associate yourself with me. But since I already know this principle, I, I can call it, I can call BS. You know what I'm saying? Bro, like, don't even try it. I, I know what you're doing. Like, you know what I mean? You're not slick. I already know. I, you're just trying to uh, associate with me. Or they say, or they'll ask me, like, hey, so uh, where, where are you from? Or were you in the military? Like, you know, they try to do the same thing to me. But as long as you know that that's the technique they're using, it's easy to shut it down. Because now you're going to make a, you know, you see it. You call it out. Hey, bro, I see this. Have you ever seen anybody, either of you, um, use this with ill intent? For likability? Yeah, it's manipulation. Like, for example, when, uh, let's say, for example, you're a good-looking girl, and you wanna you wanna get get a guy with a lot of money. And although you don't bring them to the table, you know, you come with some. You're attractive. You're you know. What if you put a picture online of you with hair and green eyes, and then you show up and you have no hair and you have brown eyes? Well, <laughs> okay. Don't don't feed into her BS. <laughs> and you count your blessings. That's what you do. <laughs> I have definitely been a victim of this persuasion of likability. Yeah. For me, especially in restaurants, yeah. um, I've had, you know, waitresses who on the receipt will put, it was great serving you with a heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got gotcha. you. Got you. $2 tip. <laughs> and I was expecting to give. <laughs> that's true. I said, she's so sweet. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> and a lot of times you can kind of, if, Sometimes you can see when people are not being genuine because they're making too much of an effort to, to be liked. And yeah. I see that with salespeople when they come in and they're like, hey, hey, guy, I'm just here to talk to you about 
I'm like, bro, like, turn it down. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this high energy that you're coming at me with is, is phony. I could see it. I could see it's not your personality. It's good to be able to see it and call it out because then you don't fall prey to it. You don't, oh, this guy really likes me. This guy, you know what I'm saying? Like, no. For sure. Yeah. You know, the only form of ethical persuasion that honestly exists is when the goals of the persuader are aligned with the goals of the persuadee. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. That's a win-win. And I think that in order to be a good persuader, and I was talking, I was talking to someone about this the other day about sales. I've done a lot of sales. And so I always thought I was bad at it, but I'm actually pretty good at sales. The number one rule about sales is you have to sell someone something that they actually want. It's dumb to try to sell some, some something to somebody that they don't, that are not, in, they're not interested in. So if if I have a car for sale, but you are not in the market for a car, it's going to be impossible for me to sell that car to you because you don't want it. You don't need it. And I was I was watching a um, uh, what's the guy's name? Cardone, Cardone, Grant Cardone. Yeah, Grant Cardone. He was doing a thing where he was like, "Sell me this pen," and the guy was like, "Hey, you should buy this pen because it writes so well." Um, it's uh, it's the perfect size. It's the perfect weight. It has this great balance. And the guy's like, "No, I ain't buying it. You suck. You suck at selling." And uh, and when it comes down to it, they're like, "You never even asked me if I was in the market for a pen. I've got a desk full of pens. I'm not in the market for a pen. You know what I'm saying?" So the very first question you should be asking is, "Hey, are you in the market for a pen?" Yeah. You know. Yeah. Actually, I'm not in the market for a pen. But this ain't just any pen. This pen's gonna make your life easier. How? Because How? when you write with this pen on your clipboard, it immediately goes into your laptop and organizes based on keywords. If you write down an appointment, it automatically goes to your calendar. Show me. You want this pen. Show me. I'm about to design it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, that, that's a, um, that, that would have been a, a, a win-lose situation. <laughs> there's no pen. Like, she was being nefarious. She was making it up. She was lying. Oh, Bernie Madoff over here. <laughs> I was just giving an example. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that you can persuade somebody non-verbally through body language? I know we talked a lot about um, the way people persuade using, you know, language, but can that be done non-verbally? Yes. I'd say in the military, you know, when you have hand and arm signals to get people to do things, um, when you're at an event and suddenly everybody starts running in one direction, you have no idea what's going on, but you see a bunch of people running in one direction and you assume that you need to be running there too, even if they're not saying anything. So that's consensus. If everybody else is running, yeah, but it's also well. non, but but it's also non. I'm not saying as it's. Well. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's not nonverbal, but I'm saying that's the that's the the theory that's being applied there is consensus, right? One hundred percent. If everybody j drops down on the ground, you're going to drop down on the ground too, like because you're assuming that's what it, that's what you're supposed to do in this in this scenario. Right. There right. is some nonverbal body language that you can do as well. Um, for example, how you're sitting in a room when somebody walks in, in terms of like your your body posture, that can kind of say you're confident. You know, if you're sitting there and you're all, all hushed over and you're kind of bent down and you're kind of closing your body, that can be like lack of confidence. So you, you could be, you know, you could be exposing yourself. And then there's also the fact of um, of getting somebody to follow your lead. You start mirroring them. And then as soon as you guys are aligned, then you take the lead because now they're following you. You know what I'm saying? So once you guys synchronize, then you take over their body language. And now you're controlling them subconsciously. So you yawn, they yawn. You take a seat, they take a seat. Is it leading? 
But yeah, those I are definitely those are things that um, a lot of nonverbal persuasion can be take can take place um, between family. Yeah. Um, or people who are close to each other. You can give them a look yep. and they kind of know, you know, a don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's yeah. actually a really good example. I think that especially is. as children, like your parents can give you a look and be like, and they don't even say nothing. <laughs> or you're like, shoot, let me stop doing what I'm doing. They persuaded you to stop with just a look. It is so true. Has your dad ever pinched you, Raquel? Never pinched me, but I definitely got a death stare. <laughs> <laughs> what does a pinch have to do with nonverbal communication? Because that's nonverbal. Uh, that, that's not. That's that's a physical. Physical. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nonverbal. Yeah. I got um the worst the worst thing that I used to get is like he used to do this horrible. Down and it used to like put like chills in my spine. <laughs> I hated that. That's so funny. That's really funny. That's crazy. I don't even remember doing that. That's, funny. That's really hilarious. The final principle is consensus. Especially when they are uncertain, people will look to the actions and behaviors of others to determine their own. You may have noticed that hotels often place a small card in bathrooms that attempt to persuade guests to reuse their towels and linen. Most do this by drawing a guest's attention to the benefits that reuse can have on environmental protection. It turns out that this is a pretty effective strategy, leading to around 35% compliance. But could there be an even more effective way? Well, it turns out that about 75% of people who check into a hotel for four nights or longer will reuse their towels at some point during their stay. So what would happen if we took a lesson from the principle of consensus and simply included that information on the cards and said that 75% of our guests reuse their towels at some time during their stay? So please do so as well. It turns out that when we do this, towel reuse rises by 26%. Now imagine the next time you stay in a hotel, you saw one of these signs. You picked it up and you read the following message. 75% of people who have stayed in this room have reused their towel. What would you think? Well, here's what you might think. I hope they're not the same towels. And like most people, you probably think that this sign will have no influence on your behavior whatsoever. But it turns out that changing just a few words on a sign to honestly point out what comparable previous guests have done was the single most effective message, leading to a 33% increase in reuse. So, The science is telling us that rather than relying on our own ability to persuade others, we can point to what many others are already doing, especially many similar others. The sixth principle of persuasion is consensus. This is what we call social proof. People are social by nature and therefore seek to be accepted socially. When making a decision, we often look to others around us to see what they're doing before we make our decision. When is the last time that you looked at reviews before making a large purchase or eating at a new restaurant? This also means that if an important figure or a large majority approves of something, it is likely that you will be persuaded to also like it. This principle is in use when they say, Oprah Winfrey recommends this book or Michael Jordan eats this brand of cereal. 
because you place these individuals in high esteem. You can be more persuaded to buy the book that Oprah recommends or eat the cereal that Jordan eats. This largely is the reason why big brands use sponsors to promote their products. It is also very likely that in a group, you will align with the group's overall decision to do something. Such as a jury, when 11 people have unanimously agreed, the person on trial is guilty. If all 11 are aligned, you'll have a higher propensity to align with that verdict, even if you don't believe the person is actually guilty. Has this principle ever been used on, on either of you? And if so, how was it applied? You know, and, and tell us what you think about it. Have you used it? <laughs> It's been used on me before, and I, I think if you guys, if you guys kind of think about it, if you ever walk into a room, and then you start looking around where you're going to sit, you try to find people that are like you, to go sit with, and if you see people doing something, whatever you see them doing, you feel like you also need to do that as well, even if you haven't been given the instructions. I think we all want to be accepted socially, and so when we walk into a room, we want to fit in with everybody. So that, that's why sometimes when you go to a nice restaurant, you're like, oh man, I'm not dressed for this. I ain't dressed for this nice restaurant. I feel out of place. Same with now, like with social media, people are real big. Like they have the influencers, you yeah. know. So, so oh, let me go see this person on Instagram that I follow. You know what the what the style is for evening wear. What's the difference between influencing and persuading? How come they don't call them dun, persuaders? Dun, dun. <laughs> it's it's a it's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> but you know what? Really, what I think that influence is more about kind of unknowingly influencing people. I think that when you know that you're doing it, I would say that that's persuasion or that's manipulation. But I think that you can influence somebody just by, for instance, if you have a group of people in the office who are all very positive, who have good energy, and you have somebody that comes into the office every day that's that's maybe negative or down, or maybe they don't dress nice, you know, something like that. If they're around people all the time who are who have a good attitude, who who have that good aura around them, and you know they're they're dressing for success, and they're you know they're speaking the lingo, whatever that is. I think that you can have influence on that person in a positive way, and you're not really trying to like yeah. like that's not your intention, but it's gonna happen because that person is in that environment. Sure, no, I agree with that, and I think that can go both ways. Yeah, yeah, what? I definitely agree. The difference between persuasion and influencing is a lot of times influencers, they're just themselves. And because of that popularity, that kind of you assume they have makes you want to be like them. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're not really saying, hey, be like me. They're just saying, this is me. I'm so right. cool. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I want to be cool, too. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Let me get the yeah. latest Jordans like her. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. I, I like how she's wearing that. I want to wear that. I want. Yeah, it's 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go yeah. get it, and it's like when you see like, it on the oh, mannequin, man. and it looks all nice, and then you put it on, and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh. Yep. I think that um, I have definitely fell a victim to getting other people's opinions before I buy something or before I do something or before I go someplace, because I think that we all want to optimize the best experience that we can have. Sure. And so if I can avoid a crappy experience or terrible food or, you know, a bad hotel or whatever, I'm going to put myself in the best position to do that by looking at reviews, hearing what other people say, 
people that I admire, what do they like? Like, if they like this book, it must be something special, like the Oprah best read list or whatever. And all of that is definitely a form of manipulation because so many people I've learned by being in business that you can buy your yourself in anybody's list. I can pay to get on Oprah's top Uh oh you don't you don't let the secret out the bag yeah you can pay to be published on these different platforms these different magazines of influence um and when you're able to do that you realize that it's not about you being the best it's about you being able to pay and look like the best 100 percent. you know something that i think is is really that that really applies to this specific one is covid (laughs) Yeah, because you you have all these people who believe something that a bunch of people are are going with. I'm gonna wear a mask. I'm not gonna wear a mask. I'm gonna wear gloves. I'm not gonna wear gloves. I'm gonna wear a mask and gloves in my car when I'm all by myself. (laughs) And and people do it because of the consensus. As we wrap up this bonus episode, we hope that this was a topic that resonated with all of our listeners. It is always best to be aware when a persuasive tactic is being used on you for sure. So the decision or the action you make is one that you want to make and not one that you've made outside of your own free will. Raquel, I want to thank you for co-hosting with me today and look forward to future opportunities where we can co-host together. Jose, thanks for being our guest today and for allowing us to put you in the hot seat. No worries. I enjoy the hot seat. (laughs) For those of you who are interested in persuasion and leveling up, your persuasive skills, please pick up Dr. Robert Cialdini's book, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. The link will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Undeniable Level Up podcast. (laughs) 